If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 656. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. If you are watching on YouTube, click on that super thanks button under the video. If you like it, you can throw a few pennies my way. Keep the podcast free of charge. Go to brianmcclanahan.com, B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. It's a great way to support the show. You can click on support tab there. You can throw a few pennies my way there. Also, give me an email address while you're there. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Another great way to support the show is go to mclanahanacademy.com. mclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll. And of course, purchase a class or 20. That keeps this podcast free of charge. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Send me those show requests. I really like to hear it. But today, I'm going to talk about a really important topic because it is a nice preview to what I'm going to be doing in my next McClanahan Academy course, which comes out just in a couple of days. That class is Reading Abraham Lincoln. And today, I'm going to talk about Abraham Lincoln, a piece that appeared at Washington Post. And um, I mean, it's, it's indicative of what the major problem is with Lincoln. But that class is something special. You're going to want to get it. It's similar to the class I did on John C. Calhoun. I go through several important Lincoln documents, and you're going to hear them, and I'm going to talk about them as I cover them in detail. So uh, Lincoln is by far the most important person in the 19th century. Now, I could say he's, I mean, I make an argument he's the most important person in American history. I could also make that argument for George Washington and several others. But I cover Lincoln in my 25 People Who Changed America. And so I thought it'd be good to go through a reading seminar on Lincoln because there's so many things that Lincoln said and did that uh, people are have misunderstandings about. Now, uh, Lincoln's letters, of course, are valuable. What I do in that particular class is cover Lincoln's public documents. I don't go, any, go through anything that's private. But there is one letter in this particular article that I'm going to read that was a private letter. That's important to understand Lincoln. And I, and I address it in the, in the class, not by, not by reading it, but I do talk about it there a little bit. But Abraham Lincoln is a transformational figure. In fact, it's Lincoln that codifies this idea that we have a proposition nation, that the most important part of the Declaration of Independence was the line, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Now, abolitionists started using that line to defend their positions long before Lincoln did it. But because of Lincoln's status as president of the United States, that makes it different. Right? I mean, anytime you have someone that's a major politician in a major position of power say the things that other people have been saying, it makes it different. So Lincoln, using that line to justify what he had done by 1863. Now, Lincoln, of course, was saying these things before that as well. And I talk about that. Even the line in the, in the Gettysburg Address where he says, you know, we don't want government of the people, by the people, and for the people to perish from the earth. 
he had used similar lines like that in speeches before the Gettysburg Address in 1863. So Lincoln was fairly consistent most of the time when it came to various positions that he had um, on uh, rhetorical positions. Now, he was inconsistent in his arguments. They were just weak most of the time. Lincoln... uh, Lincoln is responsible for this idea that we have a founding fathers. That was Lincoln's language. He used it uh, in uh, in an attack on Stephen Douglas. So Lincoln is so important. Now, again, powers of the presidency. Uh, when you look at what Lincoln was doing with the powers of the presidency, this is something that um, uh, was transformational as well. You know, Lincoln saying that the, the Emancipation Proclamation was a war measure and that he had all the authority to do it because the United States is at war. This was a, a way to best subdue the enemy, he called it. So there's so much about Lincoln that we have to understand, and the best way to do that is to go through his public speeches. So I'm telling you about this class because it comes out in a couple of days, and again, you're going to want it. Uh, I'm going to go through some things here and talk about some things with Lincoln that you're not going to get in your standard generic uh, pro-Abraham Lincoln course. And I I give Lincoln credit where credit is due, and I also am very critical of Abraham Lincoln. There's very few times I give him much credit. But as far as a rhetorician, Abraham Lincoln was very good. Any substance? No. Most of the time, it's word salad. Um, In fact, it's very much Kamala Harris-esque. You know, so... Uh, Abraham Lincoln is a real problem. So look for that class. If you're on my email list, you're going to get this class, uh, an an advertisement for this class, and you're going to get a coupon for it beginning Saturday, June 25th, 2022. The deal will run very shortly, so you're going to want to pick up the coupon and the deal while you can on the class. So you got to be on the email list to get it, so make sure you're looking for that. And uh, look for, I mean, this class is going to be amazing for you. And then there's going to be a follow-up class, which is going to be just as good behind it, not long after, on the Copperheads, right? So I'm going to give you the other side of Lincoln. I'm going to tell you what his opponent said through their public speeches, which is going to be a lot of fun, too. So really good stuff coming out at McClanahan Academy this summer. There's going to be another great class following that one this summer. I've got a lot coming out this summer. And that one... Right now, the preliminary plan is for that class to be on Jefferson Davis. So uh, we're going to read Jefferson Davis because that's also important. Another malign figure that people don't know much about. All right, so all that said, let's get into this article at Washington Post. And it's by a guy named Freddie Fromer. Yeah, Frederick, I'm sorry, Frederick Fromer, excuse me. Frederick Fromer. He is a sports writer, um, but... I think this article is interesting for several reasons, and I'll explain as I go through it. So the title of the article is, The 13th Amendment Nearly Preserved Slavery, with Lincoln's Support. This gets into the Corwin Amendment, and I find it fascinating that the that the Washington Post puts this out there. This is published June 19th, and the thing that I find really interesting about this is it's a veiled attack on Abraham Lincoln in some ways. And it's also... Um, put at the Washington Post, because most people don't really know this story. So I think this is important that the Post put this out there. I'll give the Washington Post credit for doing this, and Frederick Fromer uh, credit for writing this piece. But I'll get into some of the things that I think about it as we go through it. So the piece says, In a last-ditch effort to prevent southern states from seceding on the eve of Abraham Lincoln's presidential inauguration in 1861, 
Congress passed a constitutional amendment that would have prevented Congress from abolishing slavery in states where it already existed. Had three-quarters of the states ratified this proposal, it would have become the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which we know today as the amendment that banned slavery after the war. As the United States celebrates Juneteenth, which President Biden made a federal holiday last year to commemorate the end of slavery in 1865, it's striking to look back at how supermajorities in both houses of Congress endorsed this pro-slavery 13th Amendment just four years earlier with support from anti-slavery Republicans. In fact, Lincoln himself gave tacit approval to the amendment in his inaugural speech of March 4, 1861, just two days after the Senate passed it 24-12, to 12, meeting the two-thirds threshold without a vote to spare. The new president said he had no objection to his being made express and irrevocable, and two weeks later he sent letters to governors of all the states, including those that had seceded, with a copy of the joint resolution to amend the Constitution. Let me stop there for a second. So this was an important and interesting part of congressional history. Of all the compromise proposals that were being that were floating around in 1860 and early 1861, this was one of them. And Lincoln supported it. Now, why did Lincoln and some Republicans support this proposal? Well, it's simple. Because it didn't betray the plank of the Republican Party platform that was against slavery extension in the territories. In fact, that was the real juice. And people pointed this out in their debate for the amendment. In fact, some people didn't support it because they said this amendment is stupid. Because the only thing that it does is, is uh, preserve what we already know the Congress can't do anything about, and that's slavery in the states. So this is why Lincoln did it, and he said it in his inaugural address. He said he supported this because it doesn't change anything. It just ensures that what is already there is going to be expressly there, and this is why he did it. Lincoln's opposition was to slavery extension in the territories, and that's what Republicans hung their hat on, and this is where Southerners were saying, well, wait a second here. Uh, the Supreme Court has said that you can't block slavery in the territories. Uh, we've got a, a, That's our common property. You can't do this, right? So this was their argument. It was, to them, a legal argument, a constitutional argument, and, of course, a, an argument for the preservation of the Union because they said if you deny us our property in these territories, you're denying us the ability or denying, denying us the ability to settle in these territories, right? So that's denying Southerners access to the common property of the United States. So that was their major argument, right? The states, they never, they never thought the Republicans had anything out in the states. I mean, some did, right? They made these arguments. I can't say never. Some, some Southerners thought that they were coming for slavery in the states. But most Southerners didn't think they were. And um, on the other hand, Lincoln would run around in some of his speeches saying that, well, Southerners want to extend slavery into the North, right? They, wanted, they want to bring it into the North, which is clearly not what the South was looking to do either. What they wanted to ensure is that the North uh, enforced the Fugitive Slave Law, which some northern states were not. So there's a whole lot going on here. Uh, but this amendment really did nothing. That's the point. This is, what, this is what people on both sides were saying. Lincoln himself said it, and Southerners were saying it, and people in the Congress are saying it. But this was one of these compromise proposals. All right, well, we'll, we'll tell you. We're going we're gonna to ensure that we won't mess with slavery where it already exists, in the 15 southern states. You can keep slavery as long as you want in these states. You just can't bring it any further west into the territories. So we're essentially talking about the states of 
uh, today. Well, I mean, if you if you look at the just in the South, we're talking about you know Arizona and New Mexico, maybe Nevada. Of course, the Dred Scott decision made it to where slavery could extend into places like Kansas and uh, into Nebraska and into some of these states. So that was something different, but we have to remember that. Uh, Southerners were willing to extend the Missouri Compromise Line in 1860 and 61 and say, all right, look, we'll just take the, we'll just take the Southwest. You can still have the North, the Northern part of the territories. Just give us the Southwest. We'll do it. And of course, Lincoln uh, urged Republicans to block that, as this piece gets into. So the piece continues, the amendment came out of a furious four-month period between Lincoln's election in November 1860 and his inauguration in March 1861, when Congress also considered far more far-reaching compromises that would have allowed the extension of slavery, which Lincoln forcefully opposed. For example, in a December 10, 1860 letter to Sen- Senator Lyman Trumbull, a fellow Illinois Republican, the president-elect urged him to reject popular sovereignty, which allowed people in federal territories to decide for themselves whether to enter the Union as free or slave states. Quote from Lincoln, Let there be no compromise on the question of extending slavery. If there be, all our labor is lost and ere long must be done again. The dangerous ground, that into which some of our friends have a hankering to run, is popular sovereignty. Have none of it. Stand firm. The tug has to come, and better now than any time hereafter. So here is the president-elect telling a senator to resist compromise on this question. Resist compromise. The tug has to come. He's saying, look, we have to deal with this thing. Let's do it now. Now, why would he want this? If Lincoln is interested in doing anything he can to compromise. Now, other I, I go into this in the class. Lincoln, for years had been a firm proponent of the Missouri Compromise. Why was he going back on it now? Well, because Lincoln understood that if the line was extended, there's no more Republican Party. What you have left then is the old Whig Party. That that party probably would have gotten back together again. But they would have been a minority party. There would have been no Whig Party, or I'm sorry, no Republican Party. The Republicans would have lost. Lincoln would have been a one-term president. The Republicans are out. And this takes it off the table. And so... Uh, the question is, if Southerners were willing to accept this, and they were, Jefferson Davis on the Committee of 13 was willing to accept the Crittenden Compromise, right? Accept the Crittenden Compromise and the extension of slavery uh, in the Southwest only. That would have put it to rest, I think. Southerners had done this, it would have put it to rest. Now, Lincoln's saying, no, no, this wouldn't have done it. No, 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 no. We're going to have something else. We're going to have something. Well, in some ways, Stephen Douglas was still running around saying, well, popular sovereignty is still the way. Popular sovereignty is still the way. I don't care you know, what um, what the Supreme Court says. This is the Freeport Doctrine. Uh, we, The people of the territories can still decide. So this is something that's amazing to me. You know, the people don't realize that Lincoln, the great compromiser, was actually rushing into the war. He's saying the tug has to come. There has to be something here, and I am willing to have conflict over compromise. But this is the great compromiser. This is a man that wanted to save the Union. He could have saved it right here. They could have supported some type of compromise, the Crittenden Compromise, and that would have been it. There wouldn't have been a war. Lincoln, in December of 1860, could have avoided the war. 
So the piece continues, politics was changing almost minute to minute between November and March in response to seismic shifts within states, between states, and how the federal government related to the people in the states, said Ted Widmer, historian at Macaulay Honors College of the City University of New York and author of the book Lincoln on the Verge, 13 Days to Washington. It was immensely complicated. Widmer noted that Lincoln's view had always been that the Constitution protected slavery where it existed, but he objected vehemently to its expansion across the Mississippi River into the territories. And this is true. I mean, this is what Lincoln was always against, is the expansion of slavery. But he did, in speeches, essentially consider the Missouri Compromise to be sacrosanct. This was, this was the, the, uh, the compromise that everyone should have supported. And now, when you have the possibility to extend it, no, 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 don't do that, because that's going to destroy the Republican Party. Senate passage of the would-be 13th Amendment came two days after the House approved it, 133 to 65, just squeaking past the two-thirds threshold. It read, quote, No amendment shall be made to the Constitution which will authorize or give to Congress the power to abolish or interfere with any state, within any state with the domestic institutions thereof, including that of persons held to labor or service by the laws of said state. So again, this is the original 13th Amendment, and Lincoln supported it. In fact, Daniel Crofts, um, who this piece doesn't bring up, but Daniel Crofts wrote an excellent book on this where he said this was Lincoln's amendment. Lincoln's fingerprints were all over this thing. It wasn't just that he gave tacit support to it. Lincoln was in favor of it because, and working behind the scenes with it, because this never betrayed what Lincoln had said from the beginning. I have no intention to interfere with slavery. It already exists. I just want to stop it in the territories. That was it. And that's essentially the Republican Party platform. The same thing. The Republican Party really had no interest, at least the majority of the Republican Party, in interfering with slavery where it already existed, but they didn't want to see it extended into the territories. Why? Because that would affect free white labor. And they said it. Lincoln said it in speeches. I go through these. It was racism driving, what we call racism today, racism driving the Republican Party to try to keep slavery out of the territories. So the piece continues, it was known as the Corwin Amendment for its House sponsor, Representative Thomas Corwin, Republican Ohio, a former U.S. Treasury Secretary who chaired a House committee that was trying to find a compromise between the North and the South in the months before the Civil War. Although he was a Republican, Corwin was an unorthodox one, wrote University of Virginia Professor Norman Gravener in an Ohio History Journal article, The Corwin Amendment and the Sectional Crisis, or Thomas Corwin and the Sectional Crisis, excuse me. Now, Gravener is an interesting guy. He wrote one of the best books on American foreign policy ever. It's, it's, it's Empire, uh, Empire on the Pacific, and it's about um, James Polk's desire to get California. Excellent book. Norman Gravener is one of these old, uh, you know, old kind of historians that, um, you know, focused on political and diplomatic history, something you can't do anymore. But um, that book on, on uh, Polk in California is really good. Now, the way that Gravener describes Corwin in this article is unorthodox because he was in favor of states allowing, uh, or states having the authority to deal with the issue of slavery was not unorthodox for the Republicans. Um, I, I, I would disagree with Gravener on this. That was not unorthodox. The Republicans generally believed states could decide the issue of slavery in the states, uh, not uh, the federal government. And so this was not unorthodox when it came to Abraham Lincoln even. Um, but regardless, the piece says, Gravener described Corwin as a conservative politician who had declared repeatedly 
that a new state had the right to decide the question of slavery for itself. That was too far for most Republicans. That's not true. Uh, most Republicans could decide, believe that states could decide this question. Um, I'd say the majority probably believed that. There were some Republicans that thought that you know states shouldn't have this option. But um, And you go back to the Missouri issue, and that was the major stumbling block for Missouri, was that some people in Congress wanted to uh, say that Missouri couldn't say for itself whether it had slavery or not. Republicans agreed overwhelmingly to the principle of constitutional guarantees for slavery in the states, but they condemned Corwin for submitting territorial compromises to his committee, Gravener wrote. Right, so the idea again here was Gravener was looking to have, or um, Corwin was looking to have some type of, as Gravener writes, Corwin was looking to have some type of compromise in the territories, and Republicans didn't like that. That was the unorthodox part for Thomas Corwin, according to Norman Gravener, that you had uh, a Republican willing, and you know, Gravener uh, says, and, and I think this is true, Corwin never really was a staunch Republican, but a Republican willing to have some type of compromise on the territory question. But you see, Lincoln wasn't. There were Republicans who would. There were people in the Congress who would have. We could have avoided the war in 1861. It never had to happen. It, I think, in many ways, South Carolina would have been the only state out of the Union had anybody paid attention to anything in December of 1860, the war could have been avoided. The other southern states wouldn't have seceded. And somehow South Carolina would have been brought back in the Union. Something would have happened. Um, South Carolina wouldn't have stayed out, I don't think. Lincoln could have made all this happen. All he had to say is, yeah, go for a compromise on the extension of slavery in the territories. Uh, maybe the Missouri Compromise, whatever we got. That's you know that's was good enough for Henry Clay. It's good enough for me. Lincoln, in one of the speeches I cover in the class, Lincoln made a, uh, a very uh, pro-Henry Clay speech during his, I mean, of course, Henry Clay died, his eulogy, but he talked about how Henry Clay was his guy. He had always been a Henry Clay guy, and he said this later, too. So you're going to want this class because it, it, show, it connects all the dots between these things, and it's, it's really good. So the piece says, still there was enough support for Congress to pass Corwin's constitutional amendment to protect slavery where it existed. The state sponsor was a New York Republican William Seward. The Senate sponsor was New York Republican William Seward, who had gone to become Lincoln's Secretary of State and close advisor during the Civil War. So this is another issue. Seward, uh, there's a there's a book about Seward that suggests that Seward would have been um, better equipped to handle the sectional conflict than Abraham Lincoln. That Seward would have avoided the war. And this is one of the uh, evidentiary supports for this. Seward ushering this thing through, but also Seward was trying to work with Upper South Unionists and saying, look, I mean, he, we, we got to keep you all in the Union. This, we're not going to have war. This is not going to happen. Lincoln, the, on the other hand, was driving it the other way. When Lincoln had mentioned the amendment in his inaugural speech, he was keen on keeping as many border states in the Union as possible, said Widmer. Well, maybe not. Um, if Lincoln was keen on doing that, he wouldn't have been polling his cabinet for the provision of reprovision of Fort Sumter. That wouldn't have happened. Seven states had seceded, but Virginia has not, which is very important, he explained. People forget that Virginia is still in the United States when Abraham Lincoln becomes president. And that was important for a lot of reasons, including the safety of Washington, D.C. as capital of the U.S. He continued, so Virginia, Kentucky, Missouri, Maryland, and Delaware are all in the Union when Lincoln becomes president. If he loses those states, he's toast, basically. Virginia is so symbolic. It's where so many presidents have come from, it's an extremely large and important state. 
Lincoln doesn't want to lose Virginia or Kentucky, the state he's born in. So he's willing to compromise when it's important to keep those border states in, but he wasn't. This is the thing. Lincoln wasn't willing to compromise. The Corrin Amendment wasn't a compromise. The Corrin Amendment, as Lincoln said in his inaugural address, just maintained what they already had. It didn't do anything different or anything new. Virginia did wind up leaving the Union, and Richmond soon became the capital of the Confederacy. But why didn't the southern states just work to ratify the amendment and stay in the Union and declare victory? The southern states didn't believe the North would abide by the amendment, says Mary Frances Berry, a history professor at the University of Pennsylvania and author of Black Resistance, White Law, a History of Constitutional Racism in America. Their leaders didn't trust Lincoln or the Congress. Uh, well... That's true. They didn't trust Lincoln or the Congress. I think there was certainly a, a bit of disbelief that any of this would have been followed. But also at the same time, this didn't handle, this, this wasn't addressing the major issue. Lincoln knew it. It wasn't conceding anything to say that, well, we're not going to abolish slavery in those states. Great. You can't do that anyways. The U.S. Constitution didn't, didn't give Congress the authority to do it. The Confederate Constitution didn't give Congress the authority to abolish slavery in the states. Only the states could do that in both documents. They're the same. So you're conceding nothing here. There's not really a compromise on this. This is something that is just kind of thrown together. Well, maybe this would, would appeal to the South. That's not what, we're, that's not what they were uh, contending. They were uh, insistent that the North was violating the Constitution because of the slavery extension issue, not slavery in the states. Widmer said some Southerners opposed the session and the amendment might have appealed to them. But things are moving very, very fast, and it's only one month from Lincoln's inaugural to Fort Sumter, the beginning of the Civil War. By the time that happens, it's just much harder to compromise. It's become a, lot, a hot war at that point, and the desire for compromise slackens as a result. The Civil War essentially made the amendment moot, but a handful of states, including Maryland, did vote to ratify it. In 2014, the Maryland General Assembly voted to rescind that ratification. But wait a second here. I didn't think states could do that. That was the argument when it came to the 14th Amendment. States can't rescind ratifications. This is what was argued with the 14th Amendment, uh, and this is why the 14th Amendment was never legally ratified, because two states did rescind the ratification of the amendment, which made it null and void. But it was promulgated anyways, right? But now, I mean, and it was it was argued states can't rescind ratification. Once you ratify, you ratify it. It's permanent. You can't you can't undo that. Well, here's Maryland doing that, but I thought they couldn't do that. I thought you couldn't rescind the ratification of the amendment. This is just all the things that go into this is just so funny to me because it, it, the, the, the progressives and the left, and everything, they just have to always have it their way, and they don't really care about anything else. Had the amendment passed and southern states stayed in the Union, they would preserve their slave-based economy for a very long time, Widmer notes. But, but by continuing to fight, they actually gave more power to Lincoln, who could initiate change through executive orders and military orders. The Emancipation Proclamation is a military measure. So the more they fought a total war, the more they created avenues for Lincoln to whittle away at slavery and ultimately to end it. Now, what's interesting about that, Lincoln was willing to let slavery exist until 1900. He said it in his December 1862 annual message of Congress, which I cover in the class it was a, a potential constitutional amendment that would have allowed it to do so, allowed southern states to have this, and compensated emancipation with colonization. That was Lincoln's plan. Let slavery exist till 1900. Compensated emancipation with, with colonization. That was what Lincoln said would solve the problem. Also, 
Lincoln in, in January of 1865, just, I mean, almost three years later, two, a little over two years later, uh, said, um, look to Southerners, you can come back in the Union and vote down the 13th Amendment and then slavery you know, still exists. You could do it. You could vote it down in the 13th Amendment, which is now being proposed, which would end slavery in the United States. Never happens. In fact, the Emancipation Proclamation uh, allowed states, it gave them a, a, a time frame, 100 days. If you come back in the Union in these 100 days, this is null and void. You get to keep all your slaves. I mean, this, this is the thing. People don't really, this, even this piece doesn't get into that. Lincoln was willing to allow the southern states to keep their slaves all the time. It was always about slavery extension in the territories. That's all it was from the beginning, essentially to the end. That's all it was for Abraham Lincoln. The piece concludes, he noted that Brazil didn't abolish slavery until 1888. There's a pretty good chance it would have lasted that long here, too. In fact, Lincoln would have let, again, would have let it go to 1900. Longer. So um, that's the part of all this stuff that you, that you don't often get and that you're going to get in the class. If you go to the comments, they're just absolutely embarrassing for a lot of people. Um, so this is the Washington Post. You, you can, I mean, you can uh, get that, right? I mean, this is, this is the kind of stuff that you're going to get out of a newspaper like the Washington Post. But I wanted to cover this because I thought it was a, a very good piece and um, something very interesting uh, for uh, this study of Lincoln and a nice preview for the McClanahan Academy class reading Abraham Lincoln, which is coming up again June 25th. It will be available at McClanahan Academy. Get the coupon. I'm going to send you in the email. So if you're on the email list, you're going to get it. So you can get it for a discount uh, for the very brief time that I have a discount on it. All right. See you next week on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. <laughs>